When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. Hello, everybody. This is the College Football Survivor Show, where we go deep into the chase for the College Football Playoff Championship. I'm Babak Hayeri, and I'm joined, as always, by the singular Shehan Jayaraja, National College Football Writer for CBS Sports. You can find us on X at CFB Survivor Show, where you can participate in our polls. Check out our awesome new logo, which you're probably also seeing um, when you're checking out our podcast. See highlights of the show on our Twitter account or X account, where you can see our lovely faces and send us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. As always, we always appreciate it when you take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to our show Reviews on places like Apple always help people find us. So we're really going to just talk about the Heisman Ceremony because the Heisman Trophy Ceremony is coming up. It's this Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. We wanted to take a moment to just sort of look at the award, look at the race, and talk a little bit about each of the candidates. So, Shehan, I'll let you lead us off here. What are your impressions right now? I mean, obviously, I should just quickly run down. We got the four finalists, LSU quarterback, Jaden Daniels, Washington quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., Oregon quarterback, Bo Nix, and Ohio State wide receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr. What are your initial thoughts on this? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Uh, This is a pretty unique race. Obviously, we had two players who played against each other in the last uh, in the last game of the Pac-12 season last Friday. We also have two players on the list who did not play on championship Saturday at all. That, that's a little bit of a rarity. Usually we have just a little bit more, uh, I guess you'd call it title contention or playoff contention, whatever it is. I do feel like a little bit the goalposts get moved whenever, uh, you know, back to the whole SEC conversation, right? In previous years, it's been, oh, well, got to be competing for the playoff. You got to be competing for a national championship. You got to be doing something special. And we can argue that it may be focused at times a little too much on quarterbacks and playoff teams. But of course, now there isn't an SEC quarterback on a playoff team who makes a lot of sense to name for the Heisman. And and that doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. We shouldn't take into account, uh, uh, you know, playing for a national championship, playing for a playoff. So only one of these four guys played on a a team that made the college football playoff. And only one of these players won a conference championship. Uh, A little bit of a rarity. Now, I will also say, I don't think there was a home run case this year. We had this happen last year as well, uh, where Caleb Williams put up unbelievable numbers. But, you know, Max Duggan wasn't really able to finish that game uh, against Kansas State. They end up losing in the Big 12 championship game. If they win, maybe he's the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, you know, there wasn't a a clear and far and away case. Ohio State with C.J. Stroud, similar deal. They lose their biggest game of the year against Michigan. They do make the playoff, but still, I think that it's fair to say uh, his case was made off of performance, not off of team success in that kind of way. And so it's a little bit of a unique year 
to have so many players that are not at that top level. Is that something that bothers you or is that something that you think makes makes sense to you? I have no problem with it because, I mean, it goes down to the classic argument, which you've touched on, is the Heisman for the best player uh, or the best player on the best team. And I, I like the ability to kind of isolate not necessarily the team that's going to the national championship because there's a bit of a flaw there. If someone is the best player, then are they the reason why that team is playing the best? And yes, they contribute a, certainly a, a good amount to it, um, but not always are they, you know, we saw that a little bit with Oregon this past weekend because, and with Washington over actually the period of time since the first Oregon-Washington square off because Michael Penix Jr. wowed us all. Seemed like he had a Heisman moment when he was finishing off the first round of those two uh, those two uh, teams going against each other. And then the team kind of, he kind of tripped up a few times. And then the rest of the team was able to, to make up the difference. So we saw, you know, at times Washington actually does have a good defense. Washington's running game can actually uh, perform when needed. Oregon, too. I mean, the, you, I know, were, were a, little, a little bit more skeptical about Bo Nix, and we were kind of having that conversation. Is he really just, is his efficiency, is his numbers just a product of the totality of the team around him? You look at someone like a Jaden Daniels, because you can compare him to other teams that have had players uh, with multiple, I mean, teams with multiple losses that have had solid players. Like, I mean, Caleb Williams last year, Lamar Jackson, Tim Tebow. Um, RG3, you know, those guys were just ballers and they were the reason why those teams had, you know, exceptional seasons, not necessarily championship run seasons, but exceptional seasons on their own. And I think the Pac-12 title game really kind of shook loose some of my own predisposition towards making that mistake of going for the best player on the best team. And not just because Oregon clearly now isn't the best team. I mean, Washington, as we said, is the one that's moving forward. I think Part of it needs to recognize it is for the most outstanding player. I mean, that, I believe, is the only criteria the, the Heisman voters have to go on. And if we're looking at outstanding players, pound for pound, I'm going towards Jaden Daniels. So that's kind of my thought after I sort of just, I mean, and I know we're going to go into more depth in this, but it just kind of kind of brought that bigger question of, does it need to be the best player on the best team or, or can it be a player from outside of that? I mean, we have to admit there are probably even some players on teams that are even worse that uh, are more outstanding overall. And sometimes, you know, you look at their performance and they go so high in the draft, not just because of, you know, their uh, their scouts or or just because of, of how they did on pro day, but because they, they have been performing ex excellent the entire season. But to their detriment, the rest of the team is not up to their level. So that is one of those big questions. And it's been an issue one of the major issues of the award, obviously the quarterback thing and the offensive player thing is a whole other question in of itself. But, um, you know, that, that, that is the big thought for me heading into this award <laughs> ceremony. Well, I think that's the thing to me is that I sort of reject this dichotomy of it's the best player on the best team or the best individual player, because if it was the best individual player, I, I mean, a quarterback is not always the best individual player is Cooper Beebe from Kansas state, the offensive guard, a better player at his position than one of the quarterbacks? Maybe. I, I mean, I think that when you look at history, this is not how we look at the award. Both factors come into account. It's the individual brilliance of a player, but it's also the impact on a team, but it's also what the team is, right? Like, I, I think... I think a great example is, well, what kind of impact does Shador Sanders have on Colorado? Is he the most impactful individual player? 
I think that there's some level of argument for that. Obviously not enough of one. They won four games. They weren't that good. But like, I just think that if we go into just taking a step back to this, it again, it brings up the question of why are we only considering quarterbacks? Why are we only considering players from the power conferences? If we want to ask NFL scouts who the most outstanding players, they're all going to say Caleb Williams. Why is Caleb Williams not a finalist if it's just contextless individual brilliance? I, I think that that's something to be taken into account. So I understand the thought process. I think that for me, it's a it's a spectrum, right, of these two things. If you are the best player on the best team, that's one thing. If you are the most individually brilliant player, that's another thing. The reality is the Heisman winner is going to be somewhere in between. And each of those things can factor into the case. But I don't think that you have to pick one or the other. And uh, again, we'll, we'll get into the actual four who made the field because Four very deserving finalists. I think that we can say that. And we'll also mention maybe a little later on some of the snubs that maybe could have made it. But uh, but but let's go ahead and start with the four that actually did make it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, let's start with Jaden Daniels, only because it seems like after the week we just saw, <laughs> despite not playing, um, he seems to have kind of gone towards the front of the line in some regards. It, it kind of reminds, I mean, to me, it was sort of, people were joking about how, well, in this final year of the Pac-12, look at them having this battle to send a team into the college football playoff. What a great send-off or what an ironic send-off. But meanwhile, I'm also thinking, now we just watch these two teams clobber each other's Heisman hopes um, in the process of sending a team to the playoff. Potentially, potentially. Who knows? Maybe a bunch of people voted before the championship weekend. We can talk about that towards the end because that, that's another issue with the Heisman that's kind of come up. Um, but, you know, I, I, Jaden Daniels, I, again, his, his numbers are incredible. That's certainly the positive for him. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Shehan, and what you think sticks out about it. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and for each of these guys, let's make the case for each of them, whether or not we believe it. Uh, I can take Jaden Daniels now. I'll take Michael Penix as well. Why don't you take the other two guys and we'll kind of run through and do that. Okay, so to start off with Jaden Daniels, Jaden Daniels is having the best statistical season by a quarterback. There's no doubt about it. He has more than a thousand yards rushing. He's top 20 in the country in that stat. He also is top five in the country in uh, passing offense as well. You saw what he's done against some pretty good teams. He ran all over Alabama before he got knocked out of that game. 17 touchdowns over his last three games. I mean, he hit another level right there at the end of the year. And uh, he did it on an LSU team that, yes, was 9-3, and three, but, uh, but was 9-3 and three because of some issues that they had on defense. So he, he is very much a statistical case. To make a comparison, this is more of a Lamar Jackson case. This is a... He's just doing crazy stuff, and you almost just have to throw out what happened uh, in the win-loss column because it's just about his individual brilliance. What's your response to, to that? Well, if I'm going to take the counter-argument and, and try and argue against uh, Daniels, I would point out that he is supported by some tremendous talent. Malik Neighbors is an elite wide receiver. There's some arguments that he should have also been a Heisman finalist if you're going to have Marvin Harrison Jr. So I will note that, and in, in, in addition to Neighbors, who is, a, a, again, a Blitnikoff finalist, along with the Dunze and Harrison, 
We have, you know, he had 86 catches, you know, 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns. That helps. That makes you look really good as a quarterback when you can throw to somebody as dependable as him, as well as Brian Thomas and Kyrene Lacey. Like, he had weapons that he could use. He had an offense that was tuned to making him look great. And second year in this system with Brian Kelly, obviously he's a transfer, which kind of gets a whole other because I mean, the three quarterbacks are transfers, but um, so the question is there, is he a bit of a product of, of that system? Cause certainly he has talent um, and he, but at the same time, he's also piled up statistics against some of the weakest teams out there. I mean, Georgia, that Georgia state game was off the chart. I remember we talked about it. I'm like, he had eight touchdowns. Like that's, that's insanity. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying and not to pick on uh, pick on Georgia State because they didn't have a terrible season. But I mean, you know, when you're when you're building up stats against some of your weaker opponents, that also kind of calls it into question. And for the incredible numbers, I have actual trouble picking out one play that felt like a Heisman moment. And as dorky as that sounds, that certainly is something where Heisman voters get swayed by that I we can think of Heisman moments for so many of the past uh, winners, Win- uh, running backs, you know, uh, quarterbacks, you know, I mean, Desmond Howard set the standard by striking the pose back in the day and you know, after he scored in the end zone. So uh, that, that those would be probably the weakest parts because it is a bunch. It is piling on an incredible number uh, amount of numbers. In addition to, of course, the three losses where the offense wasn't totally stymied, but they certainly couldn't maintain it. Like you, the, the interesting juxtaposition to me was that Ole Miss game, which was a firefight. That's one where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to fault him for that because the offense put up 49 points. What more do you want from them? Um, while And then the next week they scored another 49 points. As it turns out, that was enough to beat a very tough Mizzou team um, that only could score 39 points on their side of the ball. But I think ultimately that might be the thing that harms him is the fact that this team wasn't quite, it was like a second-tier SEC team. It couldn't, you know, the numbers were great, but against which opponents and in the games that counted, could he rise up against Alabama, against Florida State? I mean, that whole Florida State thing, I maybe I wonder how much I wonder how much of the Florida State situation will also be in the minds of voters. Like, you know what? Florida State handed this team, you know, their butts at, at the beginning of the season. Are we about to give a Heisman Trophy winner to this guy? So I'm, I'm trying to get in the mind, the psychology of like, well, no, we should stick with the best player on the best team. And look, you know, Penix, you know, we talked about that. Like, yeah, his, his, he, he kind of dropped off a little bit over the season, but he had some just incredible Heisman uh, moments where he would just sort of put the team in, and make that key play in a couple of very important games. And again, with Daniels, <laughs> it's weird to fault someone for that level of, of insanity in terms of his numbers, but... How much of it was the system he was in? How much of it was the talent around him? How much of it really, really came up when it was important? It's a good question. We'll come back to it. Take us through Bo Nix's case. Bo Nix. Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, and here we get to kind of some fun here because we're, it reminds me of, of the recent discussion we had over who deserves to be in the four-team playoff. Is it the most deserving or is it the best uh, team at the moment? And Bo Nix has the best, you know, you could say, is he the most deserving? He certainly had one of the best stories, the whole process of going to Auburn, going from Auburn to Oregon and, and building a, uh, a, an ability to play, the, the efficiency he created, the incredible completion percentages. You know, he only ranked behind Daniels in terms of passing efficiency. 
um, consistently at the top of all the quarterback categories on a team that was a pretty, I mean, Oregon, say what you want, they were incredible. I mean, we've talked about it before. That first game against Washington, it really seemed like Oregon was the better team. It just, they took some fourth down risks that didn't pay off. Sometimes that happens and they fell. And of course, the rematch in Las Vegas was a surprise to a lot of us. And maybe are we going to fault Bo Nix for one bad game? that, And not even that awful game. It wasn't like the wheels totally came off. It was just kind of a an effort that didn't help push his team over against a very tough team. Both teams, top to bottom, were exceptional. So I look at that. We look at last year. I mean, Caleb Williams, right before the Heisman Trophy ceremony, he lost to, I mean, he, he kind of got a little dinged up against Utah and the Trojans totally collapsed in the Pac-12 title game last year. So, I mean, if we're going to think of that, I mean, consistently before that game, he's been exceptional. Um, one bad game, it's hard for me to to want to just toss him out just for one bad performance because he's had great numbers, not the insanity levels of Jaden Daniels, but he's also had a more well-rounded team around him. You know, they they do have a running game. They do have a good defense. Um, so I think that would be my my push for him. I mean, not only is he one, he's one of the best players on the, I mean, he's the best player on his team. But I think consistency has been there and just one bad performance should not negate all of those those games before it. Yeah, so the case against would be he I mean, in some ways, this reminds me of the college football playoff race. We have a relative head to head situation and head to head is not necessarily something that should be decisive in a Heisman race, certainly. But Bo Nix was outplayed in both games against Washington and Michael Penix Jr. And it, it was the passing game that ended up being the difference in Washington winning both of those games. So it's hard for me to say that he deserves to be on that level. Now, the other part of it too, and I think that this is, to me, a little bit more of the compelling case against Bo Nix, outside of, of course, again, the Penix thing, is he is so far behind those other two guys in average depth of targets. He was throwing the ball on average for seven yards per attempt downfield. When you look at Michael Penix Jr., he's close to 12 yards per attempt downfield. Now, what does that mean? It means that when you look at a high completion percentage for Bo Nix and a middling, relatively speaking, completion percentage for Michael Penix Jr., and even a, a more middling one for, for Jane Daniels, although obviously his was better than Penix, they're not being asked to do the same things. They're just not. And being able to do things efficiently and effectively is a positive. But so much of what Oregon did was after the catch and was because they let guys like Troy Franklin uh, create opportunities. The other thing I'll mention, too, is, you know, I think that a big part of the Bo Nix case as well was, well, this might be the best team in the country. And you look around their uh, their team right now, right? And you compare them to Washington. And even if we want to, you know, say Ohio State with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Washington with uh, Michael Penix and LSU with, with Jaden Daniels, you look at their running game. Which team out of those four has the best running game? It's Oregon. Which of those teams has the best defense? It's Oregon. Which of those teams has, uh, you know, the best coordinators? I mean, I think that, that people would have said Oregon heading into the, the Pac-12 championship game. So, like, he has so much more to work with than any of these other Heisman contenders. And so, for me, 
it's just context, right? That doesn't eliminate him for me, but if you've been given a lot, I'm going to be asking of you a lot. And he did a lot of it, but I can't compare him to those other guys. With that said, let's move on to Michael Penix. So Michael Penix, uh, I don't think it's a secret that I've been a big fan of his all year long. So he came out of the gates absolutely torching college football. He was putting up like 400 yards and four touchdowns in every single game. And after the Washington game, the stats stagnated a little bit. I want to be clear, though. He is still top five nationally in passing yards. He's still top five nationally in passing touchdowns. But I think that because of that, we assumed that he was making a Lamar Jackson case, that he was making a stats-only case. But if you watch Washington all year long, when they have needed a play to keep this winning streak going, Michael Penix Jr. is the guy who makes that play. The first Oregon game is the perfect example. There there have been a shortage of quote-unquote Heisman moments this year. By far, the best one was Michael Penix Jr. going on an insane two-play drive against Oregon's defense to score a touchdown and win the game. There has been no better moment, maybe by an individual player this year in college football. The other thing, too, is I'll go back to the Pac-12 championship game. His stats were pretty middling from that game. I think he was at mid-260s in yardage, a touchdown, an interception. But everyone who watched that game should understand how this Washington team works. They got out to a lead because Michael Penix Jr. is brilliant and because he puts the ball right where his receivers can get it and he's not going to be the one who finishes all of these drives. He, th- there were plays and there were moments where uh, they, they gave the ball to their running backs in the red zone when maybe it could have been a, a passing touchdown if they decided to go that direction. And so I think that coming away from... Uh, it, it's not just that one game against Oregon or the other game against Oregon, by the way. It's also uh, the it's the ability to convert on third and fourth downs. It's the ability to uh, to put together game winning drives, to put together game ceiling drives. I think it was the Oregon State game, right, where uh, where he had the the play where he has an option to either uh, take it and and go quarterback sneak or pull it and go around. And that was the game deciding play. That he converted a fourth down with his savviness. And we saw that a little bit more down the stretch. Now, again, his numbers do not match up to Jaden Daniels because of Jaden Daniels rushing yardage. But if you're talking about a guy who played the quarterback position at an elite level, who has made every single play uh, to win games, to play the most winning football out of anybody on this list by far, he's keyed a 20 game winning streak for Washington. He, uh, They've beaten Oregon three times over that time period. They've beaten Texas. They've beaten Oregon State twice. This is an incredible player. This is individual brilliance. And I think that he doesn't just meet the case for best player on the best team. I think that he has also had an individually brilliant year as well. He is an interesting story and an interesting candidate. My concerns are, did he have... And I wouldn't misfortune such a strong word, but did he unfortunately peak a little too early in the season? Because I mean that he seemed they were just ready to hand it to him after that first Oregon game, most certainly. And then his performance since again, he's managed to get the team to win games. I'm now not doubting that at all. He's surrounded by some solid talent. There have been games where, again, as we talked, the defense had to step up. 
against USC. The running game really stepped up. Um, and he's got some extremely good wide receivers, Roma Dunze being the leader of that group, also Blitnikoff finalist. So to some extent, is that also part of the question that we had with Jaden Daniels? Like, is he surrounded by strong talent? That, that helps make him look even better. But at the same time, because I mean, certainly he's had moments and I don't want to doubt, I 100% agree of all three, of all four candidates, he's had the most Heisman worthy moments kind of interdispersed. That Oregon State where he handed off to Dunze, who was the one who actually made the, you know, I mean, the, still, that, those were those great, those great moments and we can kind of point at those. Um, my only concern is the kind of drop off in overall performance, you know, the completion rate uh, in November, dropped below 60%, was happening at the same time Jaden Daniels was putting up incredible numbers. I mean, Jaden Daniels, I mean, we've talked about his passing. The guy's running, right? He's, he's in like the top 25 in most of the rushing categories as well against, you know, I mean, I was, I was struck. He was ahead of, um, he was tied with Jonathan Brooks with uh, touchdowns, <laughs> just rushing touchdowns and things like that. So I look at him as more, if we're talking about, you know, quarterbacks on teams, that, that have talent around them. Jaden Daniels is able to make it up also even as a rusher in addition to a passer. So you can say he's got talent around him, but you know he could run and he can pass. With Penix, it's like he has those moments. And this is also kind of, as we've said at the outset, this isn't a year where one player was running away with it. We we thought halfway through it might be Penix. And now this, this kind of blurriness that's occurred, I think has overall damaged his candidacy in a way that, the Pac-12 title game, if he had absolutely played lights out, I think would have pushed him over. It would have pushed Bo Nix, who would seem to be the presumptive leader, would have not only fallen behind, but everyone watching that Friday night game would have gone like, oh, it's Penix. We we forgot all about him. We we kind of we we started not giving him the credit he deserved, but he also didn't have a performance that that stuck out to the level. And it it stinks. Again, it's a whole reason I said why Nix shouldn't necessarily be dinged for one bad performance. But you know, that was also the opportunity. It is a beauty contest. It really is. I mean, because part of the problem is if we're going back to the whole like winning team thing, the winning teams are the teams that get the most voters watching it. They've got like, what, 900 something voters. They pay attention to the teams that are doing the best. So when they're asked to name their four top or their three top candidates, they're going to name the candidates they see more often. So all of that said, I think the, the, the biggest concerns I have for Penix are the fact that he kind of the second half of the season, while he had some some bright spots in it, a lot of players have bright spots in it. It it doesn't have the consistency, and it doesn't have necessarily the 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 push that we saw um, from Daniels, and that I think will ultimately not help him uh, get the Heisman Trophy this season. So, so that I do leaves have, us. Uh, I, I do have, uh, yeah, I do have issue with something that you said, but we'll address it in the next segment. First, let's close out this first segment with uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> no problem. So we have one last player that we should absolutely mention, Marvin Harrison Jr. And he is the the one non-quarterback, which only tells you he's exceptional at his position, but he is absolutely a talent up and down. Every game that people have seen Marvin Harrison play for Ohio State this year, he has stolen the show. I mean, he is the reason, arguably, why they beat Penn State in that slugfest earlier this season. Even if he has a game where he isn't getting the numbers, it's because he's being absolutely covered by the team, which opens up the other receivers. A lot has been said about the quarterback that's been throwing to him. Uh, no disrespect to Kyle McCord, who, who may not even be with Ohio State next year. Clearly, the issues there were had nothing to do with the receiver. The talent that he 
performs. He's also got a really catchy slogan, here comes the sun, um, kind of going on the the because his father was also an exceptional player. But he's put up great numbers. He's a favorite to win the Blitnikov. He has had um, absolute, his best games were against the toughest opponents, you know, Penn State and Michigan. You just, when needed, he performs at a level that is beyond the others. And if we are talking about the most outstanding player, if we're really honing in on that, all three of those quarterbacks we just mentioned have flaws. They they aren't complete, you know, un you know unquestioned winners in in every respect. We can we can pick and nitpick them pretty well. With Marvin Harrison Jr., we have the complete package of a star, a NFL future. I mean, all these guys have NFL futures, but this guy he's just going to be plopped right in and it's going to be probably off to the races the moment he gets into the league. If we're looking at all, and I'm not, and obviously the Heisman is not a, you know, um, most likely to succeed, you know, high school yearbook, like most likely to be a great NFL player, but he's got that too. And I think if we're looking at raw talent, raw ability, who's put it all together on the field again and again and again, it's Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, he was my pick before the season as uh, as the potential Heisman Trophy winner. It unfortunately did not go quite to plan for reasons that, like you said, were largely outside of his control. I think that when you talk about receivers winning the Heisman, you have to make the comparison to Devontae Smith. And the numbers, of course, aren't close. Not not Marvin Harrison Jr.'s fault. Uh, you said uh, no disrespect to Kyle McCord. A little, a little disrespect to Kyle McCord. But I think that Ohio State's passing offense was not all that good this year. Not because of Marvin Harrison Jr., but it does factor in what you're actually able to do. Uh, in fact, you know, we put out our CBS Sports All-America team today, and there were only two unanimous selections to the list. Ollie Gordon from Oklahoma State and Joe Alt from Notre Dame. And Marvin Harrison Jr. was not our like consensus wide receiver one. Malik Neighbors got more votes than him, and Marvin Harrison Jr. pulled into a tie with Romo Dunze. So thankfully, they all three were able to make it. These are the three best receivers in the country, of course. But uh, he was not even a consensus number one on our, uh, on our wide receiver list. Again, for reasons that were not his fault, but it's real. And then, again, you start having to ask the questions about, uh, you know, team success and big moments. And, and, you know, obviously he was good against Michigan, was not great against Michigan. For, like, and, and this is why the award does become quarterback focus is because I'm having to qualify every statement with because of reasons outside of his control. That's always going to be the hard part of being a non-quarterback, and to some extent a running back, you're at least given the ball a little more. But as a receiver, you are dependent to a large extent on what's happening outside of yourself on your team, and that really hurts Marvin Harrison Jr.'s case. Yeah, I can't argue that. That's actually one of the toughest things to, to read about. It's like everyone agrees his talent is there. It's just he doesn't get the opportunity to show it off, which, you know, ultimately I'm pretty sure he's happy that the team would win he would probably trade that for wins, you know, and, and of course didn't, didn't happen with Michigan, but in not entirely his fault as well. Um, so next, I think we'll take a second and talk about who we think should win the Heisman as well as perhaps some of the folks who also deserved a trip to New York next on the college football survivor show, the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line. 
All right. So we've now discussed the top four can or the final four candidates for the Heisman Trophy. Now let's get a little bit into who we think is going to win. And just to initially kind of intro- to remind people the process for voting for the Heisman, there's about 929 voters in the Heisman race. They comprise media votes kind of divided into six regions across the country. Um, one vote from all the 57 previous living winners and one fan vote. Each voter gets an opportunity to list their first, second, and third Heisman choices on their ballot. And all first choice votes win three, get three points. Second choice votes get two points. Third choice votes gets one point. Once all the ballots have been tabulated, the top four are named the finalists who we now know. Um, they get invited to New York City for Heisman Trophy weekend, kind of some entertainment, some, you know, they get to get a picture in front of Times Square. They get, you know, they deserve it. They absolutely deserve it. Then the then they announce in the ceremony the player actually won it all. All of that said, Shehan, what's your thoughts? What, how would you like to start this conversation? So I want to start with this. So we talked about it can be a most brilliant individual player award. It can be, uh, you know, potentially a best player on a best team award. If Jaden Daniels was putting up the season at somewhere other than LSU, is, is it talked about this way? Like, are, are we talking about this this way if it's not at LSU in the SEC? You have you actually opened up a really interesting thought. If he was at another program, not an LSU, not if a he was top at Arizona program, State. Well, I know, no, I know that. So that's where I'm going. His performance would mean he is a top transfer, you know, a portal target. That's what would happen. It would be like the the Portal King Award. Like, you know, oh, wow, look at that player. They had a great season at, you know, and it's scary. Like that other P5 program where it used to be like G5, FCS, you know, we're looking at other spots for, for, for folks who are just balling out. But like if he was at another program, perhaps that would be what we were talking about. As we said, all three of these quarterback finalists are transfers. I mean, don't get me wrong. Auburn could have certainly generated a uh, Heisman candidacy for Bo Nix. It just didn't click there. And Penix in Indiana was certainly plausible. It just they found pl- spots that they could go. And as we said, Arizona State for um, for uh, for Jaden. So uh, it's it, that's a fascinating question. I think had he been at some of these other programs, because I mean, we're you know, we've looked at some of these performances, you know, especially when Arizona switched quarterbacks and we saw, you know, uh, the, the quarterback play over at Liberty. Obviously, we know who's coming out of Coastal Carolina. We know uh, all these guys who've had histories where they have put some incredible stats up. They don't get into the Heisman race. They just get attention and maybe a conference, um, uh, confer- all conference award. And then they get rewarded by at this point, I guess, a, a really sweet NIL deal. But um, that's a great that's a great point. I mean, is that what it is? Heisman is really now is that, is this like are we taking this whole concept of we're now separating divisions? We're creating this new uh, division above the rest in the NCAA. Is that now also mean that the Heisman will go be the winner of that particular group? And then the rest you get, you know, the portal award or, or something like that. They'll come up with something, you know, something cuter. You know, I'm sure it'll be like, you know, sponsored by Coke, the Coca-Cola award or something for for a team most likely player, most likely to be borrowed by or, or stolen by one of the other programs, man, is that the future? <laughs> Did we just predict the future? I don't know. I sure hope not. I sure hope not. I, so here's what I'll say to this, right? I want to be clear. I think that if any of these four players won the award, like, I don't think you can be that mad about it. Again, there's no surefire guarantee. There, there's not 2019 Joe Burrow walking through here, right? There is no obvious, obvious consensus pick. It does come down to subjectivity. 
I think that, and this is probably reactionary on my part, so I want to break this down for myself a little bit. I think that there is this feeling as somebody who watches national college football, who watched, by the way, Jade Daniels play at Arizona State for a while and saw him be pretty good. And and by the way, then, then transfer and everybody be like, uh, all the LSU fans be like, oh, he's not even that good. And, and of course he's good. He just was playing at Arizona State. So one thing that you said that I said that I disagreed with was that, well, when teams are good, people watch them and then they want to vote for those players. I actually think this is the opposite case. I think that the good team being Washington gets much less attention than the team that people watch, which is LSU. People got to see Jaden Daniels put up these crazy numbers and have these big performances because I think more voters watch LSU than watch good teams. And so does that mean that Michael Penix Jr. has to win the award? No. But when you look at that middle and latter half of the season, especially, and like we said, one of the biggest plays that Michael Penix made all season was pulling a handoff, right? Like that was one of the biggest plays that he made all season long. That's not showing up in a box score anywhere. But how many people, and, and when you have, again, it's 900 plus voters. Uh, this is a legacy thing. I mean, there's a lot of people who have ballots who no longer even cover college football or don't watch it consistently. Like, it's something to take into account. So narrative does drive this award to a large extent, which I don't have a problem with. It's just context uh, to, to understand the award. But I mean, how much, especially when people are like, eh, Michael Penix Jr. should be, you know, whatever it is, minus... 1600 odds or whatever it was i don't even know if i did the plus minus right i'm not a gambler but uh but whenever you have something like that uh like how much of it is well people were only watching michael Penix's box scores and not even really watching him play you brought up an interesting question because are more people watching an lsu because of obviously the tradition of watching the sec i mean is because i are people ignoring washington because they're they're doing great or is it because some of their earlier games just weren't particularly compelling matchups it wasn't quite the level of of michigan's regular season up until the very end but it was still a pretty dull affair up until they played oregon for the most part and how much of that was also how hard it was to watch some of these games i mean pac-12 network did exist this season um and, and some of those games were late at night you know that to some extent people thought that benefited uh Penix that not many people were probably up late watching that arizona state game um it's interesting because, I mean, you've also brought into the whole question of is there inherent bias towards the programs that get typically the most eyeballs, which are the LSUs and, and the SEC. In the Pac-12, you might argue USC and, and to a lesser extent Oregon and Washington fall into that category, while the Big Ten has a much easier argument talking about the fact that more, more people want to see Ohio State play, more people want to see Michigan play. And then, you know, Notre Dame, of course, has to be thrown into that conversation as well. I wonder if that's part of it, too. If, if, we're, if we get more people watching LSU, it's because the sheer number of people and the college football fandom certainly seems to center towards the South. And how much of that weighs into it and also goes towards benefiting someone like Daniels playing at LSU? I, I do wonder about that um, and, and how much of it comes into play and how much of it is momentum. Because if, if you have a lot of voters and they're not really paying attention to the season that much, you know, they might also kind of go like, oh, you know, uh, th that that makes sense. The SEC is always tough. That guy's got great. That guy's got great stats. And they might not realize the Pac-12 was arguably the best conference this season. 
Oh, you know. I, and I don't think that there was any question that Washington's schedule was significantly harder than LSU's this year. They had to play multiple games against top 10, top 15 teams. Uh, and even, by the way, one of the games that uh, Michael Penix was dinged for was not being awesome against Arizona. Well, Arizona ended up being a top 15 team. We didn't go back and reevaluate that either. Now, another thing I want to mention, too, because uh, I, don't, I don't just want to say on this one thing. So Jaden Daniels, again, having, having a fantastic historic type year, I will say in 2023, he leads the nation in total offense right now by a pretty good margin. Uh, he's averaging 412 yards of offense per game. In 2021, Brennan Armstrong at Virginia averaged 427, right? We didn't talk about him in that kind of way at all. Now, there were systemic stuff, right? Like, like he played as part of a Virginia system that made a lot of sense, that really fit his needs. It was kind of like a perfect storm of things in some ways. And he was unfortunately unable to replicate that heading forward. He went to NC State this year, didn't really play very well. But like, I didn't see very many people say, well, I mean, you look at Brandon Armstrong. Actually, Bailey Zappi also put up 427 yards a year. And yes. Bailey Zappi has started in the NFL now also, by the way, which, you know, is, so this was not just a, you know, a player just beating up on bad competition. This was also a good football player who's going to stick around the NFL for a little while. But like, and Western Kentucky's not LSU. I don't want to sit here and pretend that it is. But if if numbers are just everything and it doesn't matter and all, well, it just, then how does it keep coming back to these same programs? If, if every criteria at the end of it seems to end with the same answer, which is Greg Sankey saying, well, we're different. It's Sesame Street. So look how impressive it is. We're, we're the SEC. So you should take it seriously when that argument never extends out. And I, I do want to try to address that own bias within myself because I do think that I have a reactionary quality to that, to you're trying to tell me that what I'm seeing is the greatest thing ever, and I'm not sure. I, I think Jaden Daniels had an incredible year. I will say, just to, just to uh, and I have more questions, but I will say between, uh, between you and me, it is solely between Daniels and Penix for me. I think I could go either direction on it. Um, I, I think that... Penix's case to me goes so much further than just being a good player on a good team. I think that he's an impactful player and is one of the reasons that it's a good team. Uh, and, and I think that leads us into this question from me, which is like from a scale from one to 10, how much, if at all, does team success play in your perception of who should win the Heisman Trophy? Well, I think especially when we're looking at a quarterback um, team success does have a big thing to do with it only because the offense is, is captained by that guy. He's the, he's the leader the field commander, however you want to say it. So it does have an impact. And typically it's rare to have a quarterback that's so incredible despite a losing program. I mean, we're not like there's that one Notre Dame quarterback way back in the day who won on a losing team. We're, we're going to set that aberration completely aside. <laughs> um, so I think that part yeah, you have to have a winning program, particularly for an offensive player, which, of course, brings up the whole like, well, this has never been a defensive player award. So inherently, it's going to go towards teams that tend to win um, and teams that tend to to put up points overall. Um, I agree with your assessment of both players. I think it has come down to Daniels versus Penix. And I think if you look at the leadership qualities, Penix seems to be the one that has the edge. He has that ability that intangible factor that ability to make that call to hand off the ball in a critical situation against Oregon State that ability to make plays where needed and to just keep the whole team on track 
you know, so much of that is just, mot- I mean, I don't want to say motivation is a quality that you necessarily vote for Heisman, but he's clearly able to keep that team in games. And if your quarterback starts to fall apart, that is not going to help the rest of the team. I mean, they are the leader on the field in so many ways. Um, yeah, Daniels is just a machine in terms of what he's put up. So I can see the votes going in either direction. And that's this is going to be tough. I couldn't, I, I think now Daniels will probably win because I think there will be a bit of just sort of, well, the numbers are just, you know, the numbers are so incredible that people would rather just go with that. Um, and, and perhaps they have some memories of some of the games where people are like, wow, Penix had a down game. Penix had a down game. Even though they would win, they would just hear like, oh, he isn't quite what he was after Oregon. That was, that was pervasive in November. And I could see that also sitting in back of voters' heads to the point where they're like, they're also hearing, meanwhile, it is so much a race. I mean, we all get the emails. If you ever, if you ever covered any sport, any level of college football, you start getting all the emails for all of these guys. Um, and you start hearing all of the, the PR push to try and get them. And, and, you know, most press obviously try to keep that out of their head other than the cute, you know, phrases like, you know, uh, um, here comes the sun, like obviously it was stuck in my head, but I mean, you know, and meanwhile, look at me, I'm like, I, it's nice that Harrison got, you know, a, a finalist, but he hasn't, I don't think he has any credible shot whatsoever. Um, so ultimately I think Daniels is probably going to win only based on the fact that storylines, storylines make a difference. And with this many Heisman voters, some of which, as we've said, probably aren't paying super close attention if they get any bit of information over the last however many weeks, or if they're just waking up from whatever sport they actually are covering and looking at the, the latest headlines, they're probably going to go with Daniels. That's my thought. But to go back to the question, though, I, I mean, how much do you value winning in deciding a Heisman vote? Like, do, do you think that for you individually, how much do you value that? Well, I, I, again, I would say the team has to consistently win. It ha- I'm not saying they have to be a national championship contender you know, eight or nine wins at the very minimum, because otherwise then it just tells me something's off. Unless we have, I mean, I suppose, and it depends on competition, to be clear. So again, look at my inherent bias coming up. You know, I'm assuming that a player is going to be better because they're playing against a P5 or soon to be P4 uh, conference, a P4 uh, opponent, you know, overall. So, and, and I mean, that's that's no lie. I mean, that's been a part of analyzing players' Forever. So, I mean, I would like to see a player on a, a program with challenging opponents. So if they are losing, the quality of opponent comes into play. And if they're losing, it's not because the quarterback or the running back just has a bombs a particular game. It's because the other team is also scoring a lot of points, like sort of if we're going to the Daniels like that Ole Miss game, you know, Ole Miss managed to win. But my goodness, you know, 55 to 49, you ain't blaming the offense for that one. So, um, again, I think part of it has to do with you want to see a consistent winner. And if there are losses, you want to be able to say, well, it certainly wasn't at the expense of the person who is the uh, making the race for their candidacy uh, for one of these awards, the Heisman, the Blitnikoff or anything. You want to say, like, in taking them in a vacuum, their performance is is excellent. So for me, I do think that I, I do think that elevating a program has to be part of my consideration. And I think that's one of the things that makes me so hesitant on Daniels is that LSU, in some ways, had a bad year for what LSU is. They went nine and three. They ultimately were not competitive for the SEC West. They lost two games in their own division. They lost by three touchdowns against the one truly special team that they played. 
And LSU was picked as a top five preseason team. This was the team that was supposed to win the, the SEC West and potentially the SEC. Now, we can say that the defense was a huge part of why they had issues. But, I mean, as somebody who covered the Big 12 in the 2010s as well, I also know that playing a ton of super productive offense makes a defense's job harder. Like, and, you know, we, we evaluate that differently for other places than we do for here, right? We're like, well, maybe their defense is just bad because they're playing, you know, in the SEC or whatever. I mean, some of it is how you also control the game. It's also how, you know, when you run an explosive offense, it's harder to play defense. So I think that for me, you don't have to win the national championship to be Heisman caliber to me. Could I ask you a quick question? So I just asked, so would Caden Salter be someone you would consider as a Heisman candidate in that sense? Because he's had stellar numbers, performed extremely well with the Liberty schedule, which, you know, was a whole other conversation. Certainly good enough to get him the CFP uh, for the, the New Year's Six, I should say. But um, is that someone who then you think should also deserve a, a harder look by Heisman voters in, in ranking their top three? Totally. So, and, and I actually think that this uh, leads us into just quickly the conversation of guys who were left out who should have maybe been considered. Uh, and then we can, and then let's put together our top three each at the end for what our individual votes would be. I do think that Caden Salter deserves more consideration for the Heisman. He also, by the way, is a player who is talented. He originally started at Tennessee, had some personal issues, had to leave. So this is not a, oh, this is a bad player playing a bad schedule. This is a good player who elevated the team. Now, I don't think he necessarily has to win the award. Uh, Liberty was a good team last year. They do lots of other things well, too. But I, I do think that he should be under more consideration for not just the Heisman, but the Davey O'Brien for the, you know, we, uh, we talked about him at the, uh, at the Earl Campbell Award, the, the Texas-based award. Uh, he, he should be under more consideration for, for not just the Heisman, but other awards. Um, and, you know, another team that I'd point to as well is, uh, is Oklahoma State, right? Oklahoma State had a couple of down years and Ollie Gordon came in and changed everything for that team. And, you know, they lost their 33 to seven game because he wasn't in the starting lineup. Once he was inserted into the starting lineup, they finished top two in the Big 12 after they hadn't done that uh, in a little while. And um, and obviously, I don't think he should have you know gotten the Heisman nod. He had his biggest game against Texas. He didn't play very well for again. We keep going back to it. reasons that weren't his fault necessarily, but it is real. But I do think that, that he's a player who deserved a little bit more consideration and to go back to my original point, I do think that elevating a program matters to me. We are seeing Washington put together not just the most impressive stretch that they have in a little while. We're seeing the most impressive stretch since 1991 when Washington won the national championship. And this is a two-year stretch. This is multiple years of success under this quarterback and this coaching staff. And so to me... The, the Heisman is a story award. It is a narrative award. Narrative does drive the award. And I think, again, that's a good thing. Where I have issue with it is the narrative only seems to flow one direction. If Jaden Daniels was having this year for Washington in the Pac-12 and Michael Penix was having this year for LSU in the SEC, I think that the result of the award would be different. You think it would be like a runaway for Jaden Daniels or... You think it would have actually perhaps helped Penix? 
if Penix was at LSU having this season, where uh, to be clear, where he's winning close games, where he's making the college football playoff, where he's winning his conference, I think that Penix uh, doesn't run away with it, but I do think that he wins it fairly convincingly. And to be frank, I don't even know if Jaden Daniels, as a 9-3 and three Washington team, is even a finalist. Wow, that's an interesting assessment. I don't know, I don't know if I 100% agree with that. But uh, I like it. I like the, I like the thought. It, it's a thinker. Um, <laughs> so for you, you know, for you, uh, d- who did you uh, think didn't make the list who maybe should have been considered? You know, we've talked about a few of them. I think Ollie Gordon was a good one. I was a little surprised Jalen Milrow didn't make it with Alabama. Not because it's Alabama, but only because we saw the turnaround that the program had when they realized how to use him correctly. And maybe it was too late in the season to uh, to draw enough attention towards his performance. But what he did, um, especially once, you know, they were able to adjust and Tommy Reese made that offense, you know, attuned to him. His passer rating was exceptional. His interceptions went down. He wasn't being sacked as much. And Alabama did what people thought they were going to do. And we have saw how bad Alabama, well, you know, bad relatively speaking, but how down Alabama was originally. So it's not like, it's amazing. We watched them do a couple of tweaks in, you know, as the season was rolling. And then suddenly Alabama is now this terrifying entity that they sometimes tend to become. And I think part of it was the the quality of Jalen Milrow. So, and we've also lightly touched on Malik Neighbors as well. I mean, if we're talking about what makes, you know, his quarterback so great, well, he's an exceptional receiver as well. And again, the Blitnikoff has, has recognized that ability as well to make him a finalist. So, they were also kind of question marks. I thought each of those could have been in there, and I'd be curious to know, if, you know, how many votes they would have ever gotten to have perhaps not made that final cut, but should have been considered part of it. How about yourself? Yeah, one other one other player that I'll mention is the player who I think is most responsible for Texas going from eight and five to the college football playoff. Tavondre Sweat, their defensive tackle. Obviously, it is very difficult for a defensive player to win, something that also hurts him like it did uh, Jordan Davis for Georgia back in 2021, is he's got a pretty good friend who helps him out in the middle of the line in Byron Murphy II, who's also an elite-level player, was named a second-team All-American by our CBS Sports team. But Tavondre Sweat is the freakiest interior rush defender that I've seen in a while. I, I think that he is... I think that what he's asked to do in this Texas defense is even more impressive than what uh, Jordan Davis was asked to do at Georgia. Like, I think that he is as good a run defender. I'm trying to think of the last, I mean, I, I don't want to go all the way back to like Indominus. There's probably been someone since then, but he is really, really good. And his stats don't jump off the page at you. But when you watch Texas play and we'll have plenty of opportunity to do that before their college football playoff yeah. matchup, he dominates games even without putting up numbers teams just run away from him they played ollie gordon another player who we mentioned as a potential heisman contender uh in the big 12 title game they just they tried like three times to go up the middle and they're like oh boy we're we're not doing that (laughs) and texas has a lot of skill position talent and they played well at times this year absolutely and they won them games at times but the reason straight up that Texas did not lose more games. And the reason that they went 12-1 and one was because Tavondre Sweat and that interior defensive line. I'll mention, too, the one game they lost 
was the game where Oklahoma was like, we're not challenging that interior defensive line. We're going to the edge. We're running to the edge with Dylan Gabriel because we are running as far as possible from Tavondre Sweat, and they were able to pull off the victory. So, uh, again, very difficult for a defense player to win the award, exceedingly difficult for a defensive tackle to win the award. Mm-hmm. Probably helps, though, that he uh, scored a notable pop pass touchdown in the Big 12 championship game. That was delightful, wasn't it? You know, there's there's two other names I just want to mention in passing. And, and maybe if you want, we can delve into one in particular. One was just Caleb Williams did not have the numbers he had last season, but USC was an awful team. I mean, USC somehow went backwards in every other category. So he didn't do as good as what he did last year, but he certainly... I, as we've talked about earlier, the NFL scouts certainly like him because the performance they saw was in a situation that was managed to be tougher, which brings a whole bigger question of what we were talking about with the number of wins that you need to to sort of get recognized. And seven and five certainly wasn't enough. But then if we're talking, when you actually start talking about one player, I'm like one player who has managed to change the very essence of the final stretch of the college football season by his, his, his not being able to play. Jordan Travis. I mean, one man quite literally changed the face of the final four of the college football playoff. So if we're looking at sheer impact, that one individual player, how outstanding must you be that your team going undefeated just got yanked out of the final four? Like you were already in the top four, but no, they decided, you know, it's still not the same team. Jordan Travis absolutely made Florida State. And to me, That says a lot about the quality of his play, what he meant to that team, how outstanding. He was already in the Heisman discussion before the injury. And now to see what has occurred since. I mean, to me, that only underlines that maybe we should have had a little bit longer conversation about whether he should have at least been included in the Heisman Trophy ceremony by nature of votes. I'm not saying like a, you know, I'm not saying as a, a pity thing. I mean, like he genuinely earned the spot. Maybe not. The winner, but certainly you don't you don't have that kind of an impact. You don't create almost anarchy in the ACC. I mean, imagine that like the guy literally his health absolutely made or completely changed the face of this final year of the 14 playoff and makes like if it wasn't for what happened to him. People would not be, I think, quite as as uh, willing to, to transition to the 12 team playoff next year. It's an amazing impact. And it's one that I just I just wanted to note because uh, what do you think? Am I crazy for thinking that? I mean, he had an impact. I mean, and he was a good player and he still is. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he's like he's dead. I mean, it's like Wade Boggs, may he rest in peace. And I mean, like he's still there. But I mean, um, <laughs> sorry, that was no, for I, those who may wonder where that just came from. That was from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I, I tend to be yes. a little meme heavy in my talk. And uh, that is a joke. <laughs> they keep saying he's dead and he isn't and he's, he's quite alive. Um, I'm pretty sure he shows up at the end of the episode, doesn't he? Does. he? Uh, That's even better. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, he appears yes. as a ghost version of himself. So, <laughs> um, I think that it makes a lot of sense. I, I definitely don't think that I would put Jordan Travis ahead of this group. Um, but and, and you know, part of it is I think that Florida State is perfectly, you know, again, Jordan Travis is a huge part of that team, of course. 
I obviously think they should have been in the playoff because I don't think he was that entire team. But no, I think that he definitely deserved a lot of consideration. I mean, what he was able to do, he's also one of those like uh, like just big play guys, right? Whenever they needed a moment, whenever they needed a play, whenever they needed to put away a game, Jordan Travis was usually the guy who made it happen. Super efficient, 20 uh, touchdowns, two interceptions. I mean, to, to turn over the ball that little, I think, was huge. I would have loved to see what he could have done uh, potentially against Florida and Louisville. I think that maybe he could have made his case there. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't end up happening. I will mention briefly, very weird, that uh, the number one team in the country didn't even have a guy who really even deserves honorable mention. <laughs> I mean, JJ McCarthy wasn't very good. Uh, you know, Blake Corum had a really good touchdown gear, but was not a did not have a yardage year. I mean, Zach Zinter is a really good player. Unfortunately, he's going to be out for the playoff, and uh, only some injuries matter, not others, when you're evaluating playoff teams, is what I've come to learn from the committee. And, and defensively, they don't have like the Aiden Hutchinson. They don't have like the guy. They're deep everywhere. So it's a little bit of a weird quirk. I don't think it really means anything, but Michigan, uh, you know, nobody really on their team probably deserved to, to be a Heisman finalist. No, I think you're absolutely right. They've somehow just managed to be even keel enough of a talent level across the board just to, to keep winning. And we'll get to see how that compares against Alabama with a couple of uh, stronger, you know, individuals who seem to have a little bit more Heisman potential, at least this season, this season. So wait, with that said, with that said, let's do our top three. Okay. So Mm. I'll start at number three. I think Bo Nix is the clear number three. I, I think that his case was ahead above Marvin Harrison Jr. just because of, uh, Ohio State's season context and the lack of numbers. But uh, again, the, be- between the three quarterbacks, he's clearly number three to me. Do you agree with that? I do. I think he, I think after that Pac 12 championship game, it really made me step back and then see your light in all of this. Cause we've had this discussion before. And, you know, while he's been good, I didn't get the moments that, that for example, uh, separated him from Penix in terms of just that that innate leadership skill, that innate magic, if you want to say, that a Heisman winning quarterback can have. And then with obviously with Daniels, we get into the whole numbers question. But uh, yeah, I agree. He's my number three. All right. So with that said, who is your Heisman Trophy winner? This season, I'm going with Jaden Daniels. I, I just am impressed enough by the overall performance and that again, when I was sitting down and breaking down some of what he has achieved, it isn't just in the air, it's on the ground. Um, and that's where actually I was starting to parse him away from Penix. I'm like, you know, Penix is a great passer, but he's not like a running threat. He certainly isn't at the level of, you know, when I was, when I realized he had, he was right behind Jonathan Brooks in total rushing yards and ahead of Jawar Jordan in rushing yards and ahead of Jill, Dylan Johnson. And, you know, more rushing yards per game than Dylan Johnson or Bucky Irving. When I'm looking at the running backs for the other two Heisman uh, uh, finalists, I was like, this is just ridiculous. And I mean, I, I get it. I'm not saying like ridiculous numbers automatically equate to Heisman, but his performance has just been a delight. And because we've talked about it at the beginning, no player has necessarily been so far and beyond the rest that this is just a crowning ceremony. I, I decided, especially after the Pac-12 title game, that he was my man. How about yourself? I will go with Jaden Daniels as my number one. I want to, again, put in like a, not even a protest vote. I just want to put in a protest statement of, please, let's be smart about it. When we talk about Penix versus Daniels, let's not just be dismissive. Michael Penix Jr. is a very deserving Heisman finalist, would have been a very deserving Heisman winner. 
The narrative around all of it, frankly, makes me disgusted. But this is not Jaden Daniels' fault. Jaden Daniels had an unbelievable season in a year, by the way, where I think you could make the case that uh, not only has he had a brilliant year, I don't think that almost anybody else has had that kind of brilliant year in college football. This has been a really balanced year in a lot of ways in college football. And there's been one spark that sort of stood above the rest of the field. So I'll go with Jaden Daniels as, as my Heisman winner. I won't feel amazing about it. Uh, but I, I do think that like if, if, if Jaden Daniels is a 10, uh, Michael Penix is a 9.9. And I don't think anybody else in the country is above an eight. Like, I think that they were really close, uh, really brilliant. And, Again, I, 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 I wish that he, I don't want to go as far as saying that, uh, that game should be everything. I wish that he had won a big game. Like, like I wish that the biggest one that he had this year was Missouri. And then they lost their three other games against quality opponents, most in pretty bad fashion. So like, I'm not going to count it completely against him. If we had a better performance from somewhere else, if we had you know, a, a 2019 Joe Burrow, if we had a, you know, any of these guys, like, I, I think that I would have considered them much more strongly. But the numbers case is just so dominant that I, I think that it should be Jaden Daniels. And also, by the way, I think it will be Jaden Daniels whenever the envelope is opened uh, at the, what is it, the New York Hilton, I think it is, on Saturday. Yeah, they definitely, they moved it out of the athletic club years ago. So yeah, I'm not, wherever they hold it. I've had friends who've gone to it. It's, it's, it's an interesting event. I had a friend who worked for Jostens, and people don't realize people that make the class rings also make the Heisman Trophy. Um, so <laughs> he was working there. It's based here in the Twin Cities, and he got a chance to go and check it out one year. And he sent me pictures, and there was a lot of people in suits just kind of milling around, which it's fun. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'm making it sound like it's a conference. No, it isn't. It's got to be a blast. Yeah, it's, it's one of the coolest all, conferences you can go to. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for all four of those guys. And I hope, regardless of who wins, they have an absolute blast in New York because they are about to, all four of them have very promising careers ahead of them in the in the pros. So, which you can't always say each year in the Heisman candidates. So sometimes I can't yep. like, well, hopefully that other knee will survive the championship game. You know, like I, there's been a couple <laughs> where you're just like a guy well, limps into the ceremony. I mean, not from injury, but just from sheer wear and tear. And you're just like, <laughs> this is it. This is and before NIL. So you're like, this is it. This is the culmination Maybe they'll get hired to be like an insurance salesman, you know, where people will know the name when they go for their uh, their broker. But now, now at least they're getting also a decent amount of yeah. change, regardless of how it works out. Welcome to Chicago Bears fullback Jordan Lynch from Northern Illinois. Stuff like that. Uh, exactly. Okay, so before we get out of here, we didn't prepare for this. I, I I'm springing this on you. If you had to say right now, who is your 2024 Heisman Trophy winner? Oh, that's a great question. I'd almost want to see which which quarterbacks transfer where at this rate before I make <laughs> that important. call. I mean, who, who's Lincoln Riley going to have? Is it going to be Will Howard? So then he'd suddenly get into that race. I mean, but but going based on who we have and who's probably going to be back, I think Jalen Milrow would be my my presumptive leader going into the preseason, and I think that would be a safe one because if he keeps if they if Alabama now keeps playing the way they're playing, it orients that offense around him. I think he's going to be, first of all, he's going to be able to perform. We can see he can perform. I mean, fourth and 31, for goodness sake. Uh, but we will absolutely, he will be the presumptive favorite. And I think he should be the presumptive favorite heading into next season. How about you? 
Yeah, I, I think that that's easily the safe choice. I expect that he's going to enter 2024 as the betting favorite. Will Howard at USC, that is a weird, weird sentence, by the way, but that's a conversation for another show. Um, mm-hmm. And it could so fall apart. Be, I mean, that's, that's a guess. That's, yeah, a, that's like, the, I, I just hear he visited I, there. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't see it if we're being honest. I don't, I, I don't know about that. But, but again, we'll, 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 this is an off-season conversation. Um, Milrow will be the favorite. I think Ollie Gordon will be top five. Uh, but he's going to have to lead the country in rushing by even more next year, most likely. But he's fully capable of doing it. Uh, I think that Carson Beck is a little behind the eight ball because he kind of has the whole none of this matters unless you win the SEC, right? Like I, it was it's kind of the opposite of the Stetson Bennett where, where Stetson Bennett, it was like, well, you've done so much. We're going to give you this credibility. Uh, it's kind of the opposite with Carson Beck where it's like you haven't done anything. You have to prove it to us. So I kind of feel like that'll be a tough case. So t- to go a little off board and we don't know. Or some of these guys are going to end up, like you mentioned. But I think that makes it kind of fun. Give me Cameron Ward as my 2024 Heisman Trophy winner. We've heard conversations. If you're picking a if you're picking a transfer, we don't know where they're going, if they're going, or if they're just going to the NFL. Cam Ward, if if he goes to the right, depending on where he plugs in, he's going to immediately everyone's going, oh wow, Cam Ward is yeah exactly. (laughs) I I was like when you started even leading, I love it because when you started. You're kind of build up to him like he's going Cam Ward. There's no way this yep. couldn't be Cam Ward. I love yep, it. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, so uh, for people who don't know, transfer from Washington State, started his career at Incarnate Word under now North Texas head coach Eric Morris uh, out of West Columbia, Texas. But that's uh, that's more for the Dave Campbell Texas football crowd than the national crowd. Um, he's been linked to Ohio State. I think that he might be linked to USC. There's a lot of really good options for him. And when you talk about playmakers, when you talk about guys who are just special with the football in their hands, he's going to have to deal with some of these fumble issues. He's going to have to deal with some of these interception issues, but he's also going to be playing behind a much better offensive line when he's no longer at Washington State. So if you are talking about somebody who I think can elevate a team, and let's just say for argument's sake, that he ends up at Ohio State. This is not inside information. This is just projection, potentially. And you get to see him work with Carnell Tate and the receivers that this group has. And also, by the way, coming off of a year where Ohio State struggled so much passing the ball, that story writes itself. And so is it going to be Ohio State? Will it be somebody else up in the air? Absolutely. But when you talk about a player who's coming back to college football with the most breakout potential in the country next year on a national level, I think that Cameron Ward is your guy. I think that is a great call. I'm very curious to see where he lands or if he just decides to go pro. But uh, he's absolutely one of those exciting names. And I think especially if he lands somewhere, we're going to be having a lot more conversation about him in the offseason. I think that's a good point to wrap this one up. I just wanted to thank all of you who listen to us. Uh, Want to thank our producer, Joey Alaberti. Be sure, if you get a chance, wherever you hear us, take a second to rate us, like us, subscribe. You know, if, if you get a chance, please visit us on X, or as it used to be called, Twitter, at CFB Survivor Show, where you can message us, vote for polls that we like to put up, and, and just participate. We are now putting up more audio video clips of us, and we're going to try and even spread to a few other social media things. We'll let you know as we get to those. 
I'm Bob Ekayeri. He's Shehan Jayaraja. You can always find his work at cbssports.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.